0: um, um, the ladies are going to be having a bake sale next week and you can see that there's an insert for um, the retreat and they're going to do that to raise um, money for the retreat. So if you guys uh, want to bring baked goods for that sale, you can. But if you don't, then make sure next Sunday you go back there and buy some stuff and it'll help out. Um, And speaking of the retreat, again, I just want to encourage you ladies to, you know, hopefully you'll be able to go and... uh, Hopefully you can go both nights. And, and even though $100 might be out of some of your range, just let us know, okay? We want you there, and we'll do what we can to get you there. And and so we'll help with that cost if that's too much for some of you. And so don't be embarrassed to just just let us know. We know that's the case for many of you. Um, um, there's another insert I want you to see about the prayer ministry. And uh, we're trying to take uh, prayer a little bit farther this year um, here at the church. And so... We're having another meeting next Sunday after service and a lunch will be provided if you want to be a part of the prayer ministry. Um, but you could see here that you could see some needs that have come in this week. If you'll take this and keep in your Bible and pray for these this week. And then if you have a request, you could either fill it out here uh, on the bottom or there's cards in the back and put in the basket. And anytime there are needs during the week, just call the office. If that's the only way you have to communicate. If no one's here, leave a message. We'll get it And um, or email and we'll get it out to a prayer team that prays during the week too so make sure you're taking advantage of that and then uh, make sure you look at everything that's in the bulletin but I especially want to just encourage you guys that in two weekends um, we're going to join with Calvary Fellowship and a bunch of other Calvaries in the area and uh, Don McClure is coming up Don McClure goes all the way back to when Pastor Chuck started Calvary down in California and Don is coming up to teach and we're going to have a men's rally it'll be a Friday night meeting and then a couple Saturday morning and, and Saturday afternoon. And then we as a church are actually going to do the, the food for them on Saturday. And so uh, Sunday, Saturday morning is just a continental breakfast. That's not a big deal. But then the lunch is going to be a, a barbecue pork um, sandwich lunch and everything really good. So what I need is I want you guys to come to be built up and encouraged, first of all. And then I need about 20 of you to help out with food. And then I need about 10 of you to actually take home about a 20 to 25-pound pork roast and cook it. So anyway, make sure if you can help with food and you want to be a part of this, just sign up in the back. And if you could handle cooking a roast and that doesn't intimidate you, then just put your name and in, in brackets put roast beside you, and I'll know what that means. And what we're going to do is this. Let me just explain it. The Wednesday night before the February weekend, the first February of the um, we will have the roast here. We will have potato and eggs here for potato salad. So I need you to take them home, cook the roast, and then bring them back to Calvary Fellowship that morning where they'll be. you'll have them all cut up and we'll add the barbecue sauce. But then I need everybody, like some of you ladies, if you could take bake- potatoes home and bake them and eggs and boil them, then Friday that day, Friday at 1, we want to get together here and make potato salad for 350 And so that's kind of how it's going to work. And so if you're free on that Friday and you can come here and help, then we'll put you to work in that way as well. So should be a good time. Look at it this way, guys. This is how I look at it, okay? Number one, first of all, we get to be encouraged in the Lord. And it's always great to get together with guys and worship the Lord and hear some good teaching. There's going to be great fellowship. And then what else? Great food. Who said it? Who said it? Buy that person a burger. There you go. So it should be a great time. It'll be good. All right, let's turn to Genesis. We're in a Genesis 12. We made it up to verse 8 last week and we're going to take it from verse 9 into the 4th verse of 13 um, today. And so Genesis 12 at verse 9 it picks it up with Abraham now having come into the land having been called from Ur. So it says Abraham journeyed on and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land and so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourney there for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and Pharaoh's officers saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And therefore he treated Abraham well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkey and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men a concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. And so Abraham went um, from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all their belongings to to him that yeah, all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Growing up in the 60s, if you're uh, my age, and if not, you'll, you've definitely heard enough about it. You can't live today without hearing about the 60s. Um, but growing up in the 60s, one of the influences, probably one of the biggest influences, if not the biggest, was the Beatles. And they influenced us in so many different ways. They influenced us the way we dressed. If you live back then, you'll remember having your mother uh, make your blue jeans so tight that you had to take them inside out to get them off. They influenced us with our long hair. Many older people thought the Beatles were responsible for long hair. And of course, we were influenced by their music. One of the things that you might not know about the Beatles, and specifically about John Lennon, is kind of interesting. It seems like in the 70s, while living in New York, and you know that the last days of his life, he came and lived in the United States. For a short period of time, He may very well have made a commitment to Christ. Robert Rosen, who wrote a book called Nowhere Man, The Final Days of John Lennon, and Jeffrey Giuliano, who wrote Lennon in America, both actually make this claim. Robert Rosen says it came about as as a virtual recluse Lennon was watching American evangelists and at some point in 1977 declared he had been saved by the influence of Billy Graham. Jeffrey Giuliano cites both Billy Graham and Pat Robertson for his conversion, but both agree there was a period in his life during which Lennon was heard to say often uh, in his conversations the word praise the Lord or thank you Jesus. But it was brief. Giuliano says it lasted just a matter of months and and, uh, Rosen says it lasted only about two weeks time. Both writers base their information because it seems like they had access to Lennon's personal diaries which actually were circulating after his death for a while until Yoko Ono um, clamped down on it and gained control of them. And so because of legal reasons, those diaries have never been made known. And, uh, and yet those that saw him can draw information from them without actually quoting them. Rosen says, One day Lennon had an epiphany. He allowed himself to be touched by the love of Jesus Christ, and it drove him to tears of joy and ecstasy. A New York journalist briefly employed by Ono during that time says he drew a picture of a crucifix. He was born again, and the experience was such a kick that he had to share it with Yoko. Giuliano says, who has written again exclusively about the Beatles, pinpoints the conversion to Palm Sunday. And says, Lyndon was so moved by a series about Jesus broadcast by Robertson CBN that he broke down in tears. and the following weeks, he attended church services. And took his son to a Christian theater performance He even called the 700 Club Helpline to request prayer for his Health and troubled marriage He prayed for forgiveness when he stepped on insects Or snapped at the maid He ends up writing, Giuliano says, he became convinced That Jesus was personally Protecting his son Ono, who first husband Anthony Cox Became an evangelical Christian in the 70's Of course she wasn't very happy with his decision They write And uh, how it changed his outlook And Giuliano claims that Lennon began to challenge her interest in the occult And was disappointed that she wouldn't join him in watching Graham's telecasts. He says this dramatic conversion worried Yoko Uh, He says she feared that John's new faith would clash with her own ideas about spiritualism And threaten her iron hold over him Well in the end, guess who won? Ono, if you know anything about her She's a strong-willed woman in his final years, the man was best known for the song, you know the song, Imagine There's No Heaven. It's easy if you try. And he was living a life dedicated to astrologers, to numerologists, to clairvoyants, to psychics, to herbalists, and to tarot card reader, readers. The one song that Lennon actually wrote, I never knew this until I did this research this week, and if you go online, it's amazing what's out there. He wrote during these, this supposedly born-again period, was called You Save My Soul which records how he was prevented from attempting suicide while in a Tokyo hotel, and it's only known to Beatle bootleggers. Two years later, Lennon wrote a parody of Bob Dylan's song, You Gotta Serve Somebody, in which he urged his listeners, it shows you how far away now he was from the Lord, to believe in no one but themselves. A line he had peddled on his first solo album in the 70s. According to Rosen, in Nowhere Man, Lennon wrote the song. In Palm Beach, after serving, the newly, uh, as after seeing the newly converted Dylan on the Grammy Award TV broadcast, and Ro- Ro- Rosen writes that "Serve Yourself" was a wrathful protest, uh, um, of fury and despair, with words like "You've got to serve yourself. No one's going to do it for you. You may believe in devils. You may believe in laws, but you're going to have to serve yourself." And so Rosen says he doesn't. He, he does note. That unlike the other Beatles, Lennon was raised a nominal Christian, attended Sunday school at St. Peter's Church in Walton, Liverpool. And the early exposure to Christianity may explain why. He always seemed to regard Jesus as a figure that he had to deal with. Sadly, in his final interview, carried out just weeks before he died in December of 1980, Lennon said his beliefs could be described as Zen Christian, Zen pagan, Zen Marxist, or nothing at all. But he did reveal in those weeks to a Newsweek uh, reporter that he does still read the Bible. And so John Lennon's life is interesting. I hope I haven't confused you. You're wondering, my goodness, what are we talking about this morning? But what it is, if you look at it, if you will, it was a life that seemed to include Christ and Christianity in the early days. And then it became a life that ignored, obviously, Christianity. It became He became very successful, very popular only possibly then to have returned back to the Lord for just a real short period of time and then ignoring once and for all the one that seemed to maybe get through to him. And John Lennon's life illustrates really what is true of so many people, even of believers, that having trusted the Lord, they then either walk away from Him completely or somewhere in that process... There are periods where their faith and trust are absent and they can walk away from him. And this is what we see. And you should now be with me on this as you think of the scriptures I just read to you. It's what we see now with Abraham uh, because of what he does when he's faced with a famine and he now heads down to Egypt and of course he'll become clear to you. So it's really, as I'll show you, a period where it seems there was a lack of faith in his life. And, of course, the application is so simple. And I'll help you with it at the end. But the application is very simple. If it can happen to Abraham, who is in Hebrews 11, as a man of faith, and more about him is said in Hebrews 11 than any of the other people placed there. So there's no doubt the Bible says Abraham was a man of faith. So if it could happen to Abraham, then, of course, you and I sitting here today need to realize it can happen to me. And I need to be careful. And so that's where we're headed. Now, let's get into the Word, and I'll give you some application at the end. Having been called by God, last week we saw that Abraham, he obeyed that call. He was living in his home of Ur, and um, he his family worshipped multiple gods. It's believed that even Abraham did. But I think those multiple gods were coming up empty to Abraham as he was really seriously thinking about, I'm re- paraphrasing and just thinking here, But as he probably contemplated God, as he probably looked at things around him, saw what the gods of Ur were offering, it came up void. And so seeking God, and actually this is a principle in the word that if somebody really wants to know God, he'll reveal Himself to them. Abraham then, God revealed himself to Abraham. And God told Abraham, I want you to leave your home and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And so we lost, saw last week that that's what Abraham did. Is um, Could you put up that map? You'll see that um, I didn't show the whole map because I really wanted to focus there, but all over here to the right would have been Ur. So he went all the way up to Haran, and then he came all the way back down to Shechem. Of course, then he made went on to, down to Bethel. We saw that last week. And so he made this, this incredible trip, and there we know verse 8 tells us that he, he built an altar, God. He called upon his name. And so we can safely say that when he finally got to Bethel, having left Ur er, not knowing where he was going, then in Haran God said, here's where you're going, getting there safely, he worshipped God. And there was probably no doubt a period of time where him and Sarai, other servants, Lot nephew, they stayed there in Bethel for a while. The scriptures take us from one event to the next. But there was probably this time of communion with Abraham um, and God there at Bethel. And then we come to verse 9 then, and now things start to move again. And so Abraham journeyed on, and he continued toward the Negev. And so now this would just be going farther south. If you look at the map, the next map, um, you'll see that the Negev is the really that whole brown area. And they still actually, you'll hear that used today as that area. And it's a southern part of uh, uh, the Judean desert as the name means drier, parched land. And so this is the area, just to remind you, where the 12 spies would have come into when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he sends the 12 spies in to see if they could take the land. And of course, only Joshua and Caleb came back and said, no problem, let's do it. And the other 10 were afraid this is where they would have gone into. And it's even mentioned by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 36, where he called it a land of trouble and anguish Hardship and distress, populated with lions and poisonous steaks, which donkeys and camel caravans make their way to and fro from the land of Egypt. And of course, that's what it was known for. It's what Abraham was doing is exactly what had been being done. It was a route to go through to get to Egypt uh, and go back and forth from Egypt and other parts. And today it's interesting that if you ever go over to Israel and you go part into the part of the Negev, you'll find that Now they have actually taken water from the Sea of Galilee. They are doing this on a regular basis. And they are taking it down into a portion of this area. And like Isaiah 35.1 says, you look at it later where it talks about the land, the desert land will blossom. That's exactly what is taking place in what was once a desert. As now Israel is one of the largest exporters of fruit and flowers. You might not know that. But they're one of the. I think they might be the largest exporter of flowers, believe it or not. And so this is the area. Well, verse ten. Now there was a famine, so Abraham is moving a little bit south. There was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So that's not very hard to understand, is it? You can see from the next map the the track that he would have taken, going from Bethel over to Egypt and then back again. And so he did so because a famine would have meant death or possible death it could be a period where let's say one season the crops failed you have to remember where Egypt had the Nile, Ur had the Euphrates, the land of Israel basically didn't have any main water sources and so they relied upon the rain so it wouldn't take much if they went through a season unlike the northwest where we can't imagine a season without rain right you'd say it'd be nice to have a season without rain you know And sometimes it happens and we think it's really weird. But over in this land there, rain is not the normal thing, really. Sunshine is the normal thing. And so this was a time where, guess what, it didn't rain. And maybe it didn't rain for quite a while and the crops didn't produce and on and on and on. And so there was a real threat of if you stayed there, you would die. And so Abraham decided that he would go to Egypt where, again, because of the Nile, there was always food in abundance. And I'm sure there had to be at least one thought in Abraham's head as he says, Man, if I just had never left Ur. Remember we saw last week, Ur was just, wasn't just a, a little place to water camels. Ur was a city in its time. They've uncovered incredible things in that city showing that. And so located on the Euphrates, just north of the Persian Gulf that we know today, it was a, a trade route as well. And so Abraham, I'm sure, might have thought, Man, if I could have just stayed there. But he didn't. And so in the land of promise of Abraham is faced with difficulties. And make a note of that, you guys. There's an interesting principle that comes out right there because you would think that, wait a minute, if I'm doing what God is calling me to do, then there won't be difficulties. And here he is in called to the land of promise, and right away there's difficulties. And, you know, that doesn't fit everybody's theology. Some would have you believe that if you come to Christ and with, when you're in the will of God, there's no problem. And I'm sure if I said to you, is that true? You would say, that ain't true, you know? And if if you think that's true, then you're living in a bubble world, you know? I don't know what world you're living in. I don't even want to go there because I know that's not the real world. The real world, as I look around this room and I know so many of you and I know the things that you've gone through, the world, the real world is difficulties. There are problems. There's trials. There's There's things that we just didn't plan on, right? You know? So... And you just keep trusting God as what you're going to be at times, and so sometimes difficulties at times can show one is out of the will of God, but just as likely difficulties do indicate one is in the will of God, and so again, we make a mistake if we judge whether we're not whether we're in the will of God or out of the will of God based on problems or difficulties in our life. that isn't how you do it. You do it based on what you've done if you placed your faith in Christ and you're trusting the Lord and you're living for him each day, then you're probably in the will of God. And so that's how you base it. You don't base it on what's happening. Derek Kinder, a writer of Genesis, said it's unrealistic to regard, this is interesting, because sometimes we think, you know, the idea of going to Egypt was totally wrong. Regard Egypt as necessarily forbidden territory to God's people at this stage, for it was soon to be expressly allotted to them as a refuge. And their presence there would not invalidate their claim to Canaan. In a famine, it might well seem the providence of of that Egypt was nearby, watered by the flooding of the Nile. So in time, God would say, don't go there. But remember after um, when Jesus was born, and this is exactly when uh, Herod was seeking to kill the babies. This is exactly where Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child went to as well. So again, you wonder why. Well, it was because often Egypt was a place of refuge and they went there. And so, again, it wasn't forbidden necessarily. But most do say that what we read today in this passage was a failure on Abraham's part. Because if he had just stayed and trusted God, God would have provided for him. And and so at the very least, it seems Abraham did make a decision here. We don't read any of him seeking the Lord or asking God to provide because of the famine and give the Lord a chance to provide. So very likely this is a mistake on his part. And so making their way to Egypt, Abraham, Sarai, Lot, other servants, the herds. Verse 11, it came about when he came near to Egypt. So they're making their way across this incredible desert, you know, on foot, at the pace of animals and slower. That he he then said to Sarai, his wife, and I wonder if there was a period where they were walking along and Sarah and Abraham were holding hands and you know, and she wondered, she could tell he was thinking about something and all of a sudden he said, Honey, <laughs> I got an idea. And then he tells her what he wants her to do. And the plan was, I want you to lie about being my wife. And the reason is because there's a good chance that as we go into Egypt, They're going to see how beautiful you are, and then they're going to kill me so they can have you. And if you do some studying of this passage, that was actually a real threat. And so what he was doing here wasn't just something out of the blue. It was because this happened at times, and he didn't want it to happen. And it's really interesting. You don't read it in the text, but they say in the original Hebrew language with how it's talking about Sarai here and her beauty, that they say that she was a woman. She had to be this woman of incredible be- beauty, the way that she's put forth here. And so Abraham was worried about that. And and so again, that might be so. It might have been a real possibility. But again, he's making a compromise, and compromise is never what is never in step with God's will. You know. So he is gonna, if you will, tell a half truth. You'll find out later in Genesis that Sarai was actually his half sister. And so he's going to tell a lie versus a truth. And of course, it is never uh, something the Lord wants anybody that loves him to do. And so in this case, it seems the idea comes, look at it, it comes from selfishness in a sense. As Abraham is concerned about his life, and he's really showing little regard for Sarai. You ladies, did you pick up on that? Are you thinking, hey, that's easy for you, honey, you know? But you are want me to go live with another guy, you know? and And so again, it's, you know, Ladies, what can I say? Us guys are selfish. And so there's your scripture text. So next time, you know, just say, well, Pastor Scott said you're selfish. It's right here. Okay. All men, all men are selfish. Okay. And we'll come to a passage soon that says all women are selfish too. So, okay. But anyway, um, it shows us that. And it comes from the selfishness. And remember that he had just come from Ur. He traveled. It was probably 8,000 uh, mile trip on foot. And and yet now he's having a hard time trusting God for the famine. And he's having a hard time trusting God that God would protect his wife and his own life. Again, an indication that he's not really doing what the Lord wants him to do. And so verse 14, it came about when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And so exactly what Abraham thought might happen, happened. They did take note of her. Verse 15 Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. What that means, they basically, hey, said Pharaoh, we got someone for you to check out. Okay? And the woman was, I'm sorry when I use it that crass. Um, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and therefore he treated Abraham well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and, and camels. And so not only was she noticed, but good or bad, as you will, she was noticed by Pharaoh's officials, Pharaoh being equivalent to our president in our country. And so, on the one hand, this is bad. Really, on all hands, it's bad. Because this is something I don't think even Abram was thinking of. Because he was thinking somebody might notice her, but little did he think that the power of the land would take notice of her. And so, on the one hand, It is good as he is blessed with all these things. But on the other hand, it's bad as now what a mess he's got as his wife is not only his fears came to pass, but his wife is being taken by the most powerful man in the country that could with one word have have Abraham's life taken away from him. And so it was bad. It was wrong for Abram to have done this because, again, now his wife is in the harem with Pharaoh's other wives. And it's degraded as... She was to be a thing of, uh, now she becomes a thing of pleasure. One of many women that he could take of the Pharaoh when she was supposed to be that which is cherished and adored by one man of Abraham. And and note what we see here is, is compromise between the world and the way of the Lord often seems like it's going to work out well, but there's a price to pay. And sadly, that price sometimes, you know, you just wish the Lord would say, don't do it. But other times it really takes months and even sometimes years before the consequences of the compromise come out and you realize what takes place. Listen to what Dr. Henry Morris says. He says, Following the criteria of the practical world system will often prove profitable before the primatic nature of the system. Christians who follow this path may easily misinterpret the prosperity that follows such a compromise as confirmation that this was, after all, God's leading And they must be quite satisfied with the situation until, that is, God finally has to deal with them in chastisement, forcing them out of the compromising position back into the walk of true faith. And so that's an important thing for you and I to understand. And many people can make that mistake of of misinterpreting, you know, um, especially in our day and age, of what are we talking about really? We're talking about prosperity in different forms. We're talking about God providing you and I so often with things and we misinterpret those and go oh I must be in the will of God you know it's sad and I include myself in this that how often I'm wanting God to bless me with things when really I should be wanting God to bless me with spiritual things and things that pertain to the kingdom see and so again it's a mistake and you say well Scott how do you know well for sure one way you know is that if there's compromise involved, then it isn't the way that you should go. And so just stay away from it. Well, verse 17, the Lord then, by the way, back up to 16, something interesting here, there's an idea that what was going on here when it just seems to leave out details that if, um, and we know, um, if there was no dad involved, in in other words, if Sarai's father was missing from the picture in this culture, then the brother would be overseeing the sister and the brother would have to be go through you'd have to go through the brother for marriage. Not that Pharaoh would have to do that, but if that's the case, you can see what's going on here. And all that Pharaoh gives to Abram then is also like a dowry. In other words, that's what they did back then. And it's something that's really interesting. One author I read pointed out that you you and I just read that he gave him sheep and oxen, donkeys, male and female servants And then notice the last part of the verse, at least in the NSB, it says, and female donkeys and camels. And you say, well, why does it list that separately? It's because the mode of transportation, not only would female donkeys obviously produce more donkeys, but more than that, female donkeys, you guys, were the BMWs of the day. See, they really were. Female donkeys, they say, were much better to ride on than a regular donkey. So check it out sometime and let me know. Okay? and camels were really just coming on the scene and camels were a real rare form of transportation and so when he is given female donkeys and camels there it is something that only the ultimate rich would have and now Pharaoh gives this to Abraham as well and so verse 14 it says so everything's going well right no problem with making this decision wrong the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai Abraham's wife Griffin Thomas titles that verse, Divine Displeasure. (laughs) You don't need to say any more than that. That's exactly what happens. You can see that verse and you can hear lightning and thunder in the background, can't you? And as Henry Morris says, what we're seeing now is God's chastisement coming forth. And just think, this wasn't just a lapse of faith on Abraham's part. Do you understand how serious this is? Because Abraham, the seed of the Messiah would be traced to Abraham and his to his wife. So now all of a sudden man steps in with his plan and Abraham says, honey, would you do this thing for me? And right there, the plan of redemption could have gone sideways if all of a sudden they killed Abraham and she was kept as Pharaoh's. It just messed everything. So it's no wonder then that God all of a sudden sees what's going on and God steps in like he does with these plagues and puts a stop to it. Because it was through Abraham and through Sarai that Christ would come. And they were on the verge of messing that up. Now all of a sudden it gets serious, doesn't it? So you realize that. And so um, it wasn't this lapse of faith. I mean, it was more than a lapse of faith. There was more at stake. Um, and so no doubt seeing his house inflicted with great plagues, Pharaoh, again, think about this. We just read it. Pharaoh is wondering what's going on. And it's thought that, either Pharaoh directly or probably his servants started to do some investigating, maybe talking to Lot, maybe talking to some of Abraham's servants that came with him, maybe even talking to Sarai. And they found out then who they had in their midst. And they heard the story about how God had called Abraham and had called him to this land. And so even though Pharaoh obviously didn't worship Yahweh, Egypt, they worshiped many gods but at least there was a a sense to the supernatural, to the spiritual, and so Pharaoh realized that I don't know who his god is, and I don't know what god this is, but all of a sudden, what I do know is myself and my household has been inflicted with these plagues. They think it probably was some type of skin thing, and he realized, oh my god, that, uh, my gosh, that's a powerful god that they that they serve, and so seeing this, then Abraham is basically. Um, you know, escorted Pharaoh and the Egyptians uh, didn't want him there. Um, and he is basically taken to the edge verse 18. It says then Pharaoh called Abraham and said, "What is this you have done? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why do you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then here's your wife, take her and go." And Pharaoh commended his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. And so fearing um, To harm Sarai and Abraham and again the reason you say why didn't he punish him why didn't Pharaoh do something well Pharaoh realizes I don't understand who your God is I don't worship that God but I see the results of what he can do he just rebukes Abraham and he sends him on his way probably escorting him all the way to the border making sure don't come back in this and notice at first Abraham must have thought now think for a minute not a bad plan okay it all worked out Things are turning out pretty good. We've made it through the famine. I've got a, some extra belongings, some extra servants. Translation, lacking faith isn't that bad. doesn't hurt that much. Okay. But then the sickness throughout the household and how Abraham must have been surprised when who shows up at his doorstep but Pharaoh, wanting to know, what have you done? And all of a sudden, the whole thing just changes, doesn't it? Um, And so if his disobedience going to Egypt was a lack of faith, then Abram um, really is showing that. And what a sad thing, you guys, as even if he shouldn't have gone to Egypt, but he did, as one who loved God, he had a chance to be a witness for God. And yet by doing what he did, he totally blew that, didn't he? Not Sarai. She didn't do that. You know, we can debate that if you want, to what degree. But really, any hope of, telling the Egyptians about who Yahweh was, was now gone as all they knew is that they had been lied to. And now they were suffering the consequences of that. And all they said was, get out of here. And it's interesting, you guys, because again, a lack of faith at times when we're not trusting God, okay? And by the way, make sure we understand that. I'm not saying um, that when we talk about having faith as believers and either having faith or a lack of faith... We're not talking today that's out there in some circles that there is actually, you have to have faith in faith itself and there's power in the words and all that. No, we're just talking about trusting God, okay? And so at times we it can seem like when there's a time in our lives where we don't trust Him like we should, we're not having the faith in Him like we should, that it's no big deal. It really can bring damage. It can destroy our testimony. It can destroy our witness and a hope of leading people to Christ. And if you think about it, as you'll see as we continue our way into Genesis, this is actually what is going to happen with Abraham. Because you'll see that as what is he blessed with all these herds, and it seems to me that Lot benefited from those herds. And you'll see and I think maybe even next week as we get into that, Abraham and Lot have to divide because of those herds. So here comes some side problems because of the supposedly blessing of doing what they did, not to mention you look ahead in chapter 16 at verse 1 and you know what will happen as Abraham and Sarah are waiting for the child to be born Hagar, a maid servant, gets in the way, Abraham sleeps with her, comes forth Ishmael and in 16.1 we're told that Hagar was an Egyptian and most believe she was probably brought out of Egypt at this time so again it's an indication to you and I be careful that in those times where it seems like no big deal well, it could be a big deal and it's just going to be a matter of time and you see it. Well, then verse, chapter 13, verse 1, Abraham went up out of Egypt to the Negev. He and his wife and all belongings to, that belonged to him and lot with him. Abraham was rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And by the way, this is the same thing that will happen in the Exodus when the children of Israel are in Egypt and they're told to get out. And the prophecy was that They'll be given belongings. It's exactly what took place. And here was the first time the same thing, type of thing happened. As they're leaving, they're given the silver and gold. And so he went on his journey from the Negev as far as where? Interesting. Bethel. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. The place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abraham called on the, on the name of the Lord. And so back to where, where he should have been in the first place. Back to where he should have never left. The very least in verse nine, when he went down to the Negev and was faced with that thing, he should have got right back up to Bethel, and there where that he had built that altar. And so again, outwardly it seemed everything was okay. He escaped the famine, you know, Egypt. I got more goods. I still got my wife. Neither one of us were hurt. Um, and if they had been worldly people with a worldly mindset, people who didn't care about how God wanted, then you could say, yeah, it went okay but think about it you guys how were they doing inwardly being people who believed and loved God they had been rebuked Abraham had been rebuked and he knew he had not been rebuked by the Pharaoh by man he had been rebuked by God himself and I'm sure that ride home was a quiet ride home from Egypt to the Bethel you been on those rides before? <laughs> I don't like those rides when God brings you up short and God says like Nathan said to David, "Thou art the man," you know. Those are times when you drive and you don't say much in the car. Those are times when all afternoon you're quiet around the house and your wife wonders why. And so that's what was going on here. Inwardly, Abraham knew what was going on. And so now he does the only possible thing, really the the right thing. He returns not only to Canaan, the land he was supposed to be in, but to Bethel. And remember the word Bethel, you guys, means the house of God. In other words, he returned to God. And again, look again at verse 3 and 4. Look at those words where you can't help but notice them in verse 3 where it says, he returned where he had been at the beginning. In verse 4, he returned where? To the place of the altar. To the place where he called upon God. And you get the impression that as he went into Egypt, he had done none of this. And now he's getting back to what he should have been doing. See? And to his credit, Abraham is doing the right thing. He's coming back to God and to the things of God. He had left trusting and he, he he had been working out his own plan. And now he returns a broken man, having been rebuked for doing such a thing. And so what I, in my brain, what works is we see a loop of disobedience, really. He makes a, the track to, to where he was supposed to be in Bethel. Then if you just picture a circle in your mind like that, that's what he did. It was a loop of disobedience, taking him from where God wanted him, but then finally back again. And sometimes people call it backsliding. We call it fall away, even leaving Christ. And uh, in Abraham, it wasn't like he quit believing there was a God or believing in God, but he forgot how great God was. See, And isn't that what happens to you and I? We face a hard situation. We face a difficult decision. We face trying circumstances. We face a sickness that we didn't plan on nor want. And those are the times where we're tempted to, to figure it out another way rather than how God wants it. And if there's ever a time in our life where we need to stop and remember how great our God is, that is the time. Remembering how great God is will always keep us from going down a path that we shouldn't go. And yet, sadly, because of our human nature and our flesh, we often go the other way. And so we we forget how great God is. We then start leaving what He wants us to do. And then when we're out in Egypt, all of a sudden we look back and go, whoops, I forgot how great my God is. And the good thing is, we come back. And of course, He never turns us away. I love a writer I read. He's an old saint that's been with the Lord now for years. He says, whenever we backslide, there's nothing else to do but... Come back by the old gateway of genuine repentance and simple faith. And that's so good. And that's what Abraham needed to do. And that's what Abraham did. He went back through the gate of repentance and the gate of faith again. And so as we close, I think for you and I, it kind of comes down to a few things, three things that we need to consider. First of all, as we look at this passage and we think of this failure on Abraham's part, this mistake he made that did bring with it consequences, Okay, we have to understand there's a possibility of backsliding, of stepping out of that place of faith, of going away that God would not have us go. And that's important. If you don't see that, I assure you, then you'll do it. And when you do come back because you'll do it. You have to understand that if it was a possibility for Abraham, did not Peter do it in the New Testament when he denied the Lord three times? He couldn't you say that was a lapse of faith on his part? Rather than trust God to protect them, he said, no, I don't know. Why? Because he feared the consequences. And so we have to understand that it is a possibility. And if that's the case, then logically, and I think the scriptures are logically, I think our walking with God is a logical walk, then we need to say, okay, then what can I do? What can I do to prevent that from happening in my life or at least minimize it? And again, how important it is. Things like be a person who prays. We need to be people who read the Word, understand the Word, are, are studying the Word. You know, so often, and I don't know how this fits you, but I hope you know, you do not know how often I approach a passage, and you get to hear it on Sunday after I've studied, and hopefully at times there are things that you go, oh, that's what that meant. Well, you know what, I approach that earlier in the week, and I'm tearing through all types of junk to try to figure out, what is that talking about? And my wife sees me come out of my study and just like, hey, what's going on? I'm nothing. I'm not done yet, you know. And grab some eating. I'm going back, going back down, you know. But it's such a blessing when you press through in the study of the Word and all of a sudden things start making sense and you understand what it is. And that's the type of life that keeps us from walking away. We should always be growing spiritually, you know. And again, we, that isn't a give me. There are people that have been in church for years that have, haven't grown for years. We need to be growing spiritually. We need to be involved in church life. That keeps us from that. And when I say involved in church life, not only in a sense does it mean where we come to church, but then who is the church? You and I are the church, and we need to be involved with each other. See, and that is a good thing. See, and and then open to some close friends to why. So when we're weak, we can tell them we're weak, and they can hold us and help us stay strong and help us stay on the right path. And so it is possible to live in a way to either prevent the wanderings or at least minimize them. But again, we've got to make sure we're doing that. And then the third thing is, of course, if it has happened. If we have backslidden, if we are backslidden right now, if we're in that place where we've lacked faith, we need to return to where we should be. The place where your faith was strong. To put your heart, your life back on God's altar and once again call upon his name, knowing that he is faithful to forgive. First John one nine, we know applies to people coming to Christ, but it applies to people who've come to Christ that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And isn't that the beauty about knowing the Lord? Is that He doesn't require us and He knows we can't be perfect. And so He says, Come on back. And again, if you're in that place today, if you're in a place where you know you shouldn't be, if you're in a place where there's a lack of faith in your life, if you're backsliding, well, my goodness, this is a message for you. You should go out of here going, holy moly, that just that's me. And God is saying, would you come back to Bethel? Would you come back to the house of God? Would you come back to that place that you know you should be at? That's such a sweet place. how horrible it is when we're in a place where we know we shouldn't be and how sweet it is when we're in a place that we know we should be. And it's beautiful, isn't it? And so Abraham's life, you guys, was marked before Egypt and after Egypt. It was marked by surrender. He surrendered to God when he left Ur and once again now he surrenders to God. And he and, and so his, mark, his life is marked by surrender and worship. And and you know again we, we don't get a lot of the detail here, but you know to get back from Egypt to um, Jennifer can you put up that one map maybe, I, when you go all the way from, from Egypt and back, no that one, um, that didn't take just a few hours, and I wonder if Abraham was like oh I got to get back I got to get back to Bethel I know that altar is still there I built. And I just need to get back to that place. And so, again, you guys, I just want to encourage you. I think God gives us His word like passages like this as we study through the Word and we go through the book of Genesis. And here in the midst, God is just saying, guys, listen to me. Be careful. Every one of you, if you're not careful, can walk away from me. Every one of you cannot have the faith and trust in your life that you're supposed to have. And so make sure your life is such that you're preventing those things, minimizing those things. But then if it does happen, once you're out there on the loop and you realize it, get back. Get back. Amen? Amen. So may the Lord put this deep in our hearts. I just pray, you know, like it, the, the seeds of the word will be there and they'll grow. And uh, But again, um, not only is when we're out there, is it a time to remember this passage that we come back. But really, you guys, more so is make sure you're living in such a way that you prevent it and you minimize it. He's your God. He's a great God. Amen? And sometimes we face things and they are not easy. And and our feelings are screaming at us, telling us all types of other things. And those are the times that we have to ignore our feelings and we have to step out there in faith and trust God. And so, again, don't use those times as a time to walk away from God. But use those times as a time that, no, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to make sure I'm doing all I can to stay close to him. And you'll see, that's where exactly he wants you to be. Amen? Let's stand. So read ahead next week, um, chapter 13 and 14. We probably won't get into 14, but at least 13. I'm going to surprise you one of this week, and we'll cover two chapters in a morning. So, But anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our morning to come before You with our brothers and sisters and to worship You. And Father, You are worthy of worship. And we've done that this morning. We've prayed, Lord, and thought about You throughout the morning. And You're the only one we want to do that to, Lord. You're worthy in that area. And then, Lord, we've studied Your Word. And we thank You for Your Word. Because, Lord, it's it's not only the account of history and incredible stories and information. But then, Lord, we find that it really does speak to our own lives today and how we're to walk. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us a people who walk by faith, who trust you, Lord. Help us to realize the dangers that are out there and help us to organize our lives, Lord, to minimize that. And so, Father, I just pray your blessing on us today as we leave. Bless each and every person, Father, each and every home. and May this just be a sweet week of communion with you, Lord. And may you use us this week, Lord, in ways we don't even know now, to just share Christ, to be loving, to show compassion, um, to reach, Lord, the lost. And so thank you for our time today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.